0: Good morning, good morning. 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 You guys look amazing. (laughs) It's so good to see you. I read somewhere one time, if you really want to crowd on your side, you compliment them. And I'm not being influenced by that at all, but man, you're awesome. I bet you're smart too. (laughs) You're here today, so you are smart. But anyway, if you don't know me, like Mike said, I'm the assistant pastor here at Cornerstone. My name is Larry Van Hoos, and it's great to be here with you. We're a continuing series um, for the one, as Mike mentioned, and uh, actually when this date came open for someone to do the message, we do try to give Mike a break every now and then, and uh, th- this was a good week. He got a ton of work done um, outside of just prepping for the service, so um, that was work that I don't have to do now, so I'm excited uh, for not just giving the message, but not having to do that other stuff that he did, and uh, he'll tell you more about that in the coming weeks, but we've got some neat things coming up, but... Uh, I I didn't know that this message was really going to be something so near and dear to my heart. I mean, I knew what the series was about, but this particular one, uh, I'm glad I got the opportunity to do it because it really has uh, blessed me as I prepped for it, and uh, it it touches your heart, and I hope it does yours as well. So anyway, um, God is good, right? That's your cue. All right. We'll do it again. God is good? All the time. All the time? Okay, let's jump right in the message. We're going to be uh, starting reading today in Luke chapter 5, and I'll give you a little context, and i give you a chance to open to that, or if you got your phone out already, you know, there's great Bible apps for reading Scripture along with us. But uh, I want—I do want to set the stage. Um, what was happening on this particular day is that uh, Jesus was in Jerusalem, and uh, there were a lot of Pharisees and teachers there that had come from all over the place. Um, it wasn't just local Pharisees and teachers, but they were, they were basically starting to, to come and listen to Jesus, and, and honestly, um, I think they felt threatened by him, and they were looking for an uh, excuse to give him a hard time, and so they were really paying attention to every, every dot and tittle, you know, just everything that he said, and uh, they, you know, basically, he, came, he, he didn't come from their sect, and so, you know, he's an outsider to them. Um, to me, that makes the most sense about why they behaved the way they did. They were definitely threatened by him. But anyway, here he is, in, um he's teaching and, and giving a message. And some men brought their friend who was paralyzed to Jesus because they heard that people had been healed by him. And it couldn't get through the crowds. And uh, so Jesus is preaching away in this house. And the men actually removed tiles from the ceiling and lowered the man down in front of him. Well, that got Jesus' attention and everybody else's, I mean... I'm sure that would, you know, if that happened right here, that would get your attention, right? So, Jesus is like, um, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, that's an interesting thing to say, and the Pharisees were upset about that. They were like, who are you? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus saw the connection between unforgiveness of sins and this man's physical condition. So he said to the Pharisees, he said, you know, what's your problem here? What's easier, to say your sins are forgiven or rise up and and walk? And so that's what he did next. He said, rise and walk. So that's setting the stage of kind of what's going on. And then as soon as the man got up and walked and left, Jesus went out. And what did he do? He picked to be one of his disciples one of the most despised men in the area. Let me start, verse 27 in Luke chapter 5. After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to, their, to his disciples why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So it's interesting, but I hope we never get accused of this, of just appealing to the clean, the upright, that, the, the more popular people. Because Jesus sent us into the world, For the sick and the lost, the despised and the hopeless. And that's what our, um, the first point in my message today is, that Jesus calls the despised. And here's what what he did. He gave a perfect example. He called someone to be his disciple, not just to be a follower, but somebody to be in a leadership position that was one of the most despised men in the country. I mean, he, he had a bad rap, let's just put it that way. And I'm guessing that he had some exposure to, to Jesus and Jesus' teaching and Jesus' miracles and everything because, I mean, he closed his booth up and he left. As I was um, researching the scripture, I came across a story, and it's a little bit long. I apologize because I'm going to read it to you, um, and hopefully I won't stumble. But um, how many of you all have heard of a lady named Corey Ten Boom? Corrie Ten Boom was um, arrested for sheltering Jews and, uh, during World War II, and she survived through the Holocaust and everything. She lost some family members during that time, and her story is amazing. And uh, if you ever get a chance to read her autobiography, I would highly encourage you to do it. But I'm going to read you a little excerpt from it that uh, is Corey's story of forgiveness. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeat Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed to hear most in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, but I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces that day stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence. In silence, they collected their wraps. And in silence, they left the room. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment, I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with a skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush then the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this very man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, I thought, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland, and this man had been in guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we had been sent. Now here he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. Yet I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop that was swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he said. I was a guard in there. I could tell he didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, again, the hand came out, will you forgive me? As I stood there, I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven, I could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I knew I had to do it. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives. Those who nursed that bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You must supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all of my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands. The former guard the former prisoner i had never known god's love so intensely as i did then what a powerful example of forgiveness i don't know about you all but i've never had anything nearly so dramatic but i have had god ask me sometimes to forgive folks that i didn't want to forgive people that i despised people that i didn't want anything to do with people that If I saw him coming, I turned and went the other way. So we have to ask ourselves, what did Jesus say about forgiveness? I mean, this is the man who as he was being punished for our sins, as he was hanging on the cross for our sins, his blood was pouring out for our sins, said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. You know, Corey... Um, reference this scripture I want to read it in Matthew 6 Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 through 15 when Jesus was explaining to his disciples how to pray and he said pray like this our father in heaven may your name be kept holy may your kingdom come soon may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven then he gives you an idea as we continue of a little bit what the father's will is He says, give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Those are things that are God's will. Jesus said we should pray for those things. And Jesus went on, he said, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. That's a hard saying. I'll be honest with you, that's a hard saying. Like I said, there's been people in my life that I not only did I not want to forgive them, I didn't want anything to do with them. And and if I'm being totally honest, I'm sure I've had that impact impact on others. I, I know, I can think of somebody right off the top of my head, that doesn't want anything to do with me because of a falling out we had. I've asked for forgiveness, and I've prayed about it, and that's as far as I can go. But I don't ever want to be that way towards anyone else because I've read this verse. I know what it says. It says we need to forgive so we can be forgiven. So I need to ask you, is there someone that you need to forgive? (coughs) Or is there someone that needs to forgive you? Think about it. Pray about it. And do you need to let yourself be forgiven by God or others? That's sometimes the hardest thing to do. I know people in my life that they're willing to forgive others, but they still know the things that they've done to hurt people. They know the things that they've done to hurt God, and they have a hard time accepting that he could possibly forgive them. But Jesus set the example here. You know, in uh, Isaiah 53, Isaiah the prophet was prophesying about Jesus in his coming day. And this is what he said about the Messiah. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. And I can see that, you know, when Jesus is on the cross. All of the disciples, but a couple deserted him. They did not want to be associated with him. They did not turn out like they thought it was going to turn out. They saw this coming kingdom, and they had their own idea of what it should look like. And we all make that mistake sometimes. We think we know how God ought to do things and how he ought to handle things. And I'm here to tell you, he's got some pretty good ideas about how to help us, how to Help us to navigate difficult situations in in life, in this broken world. And so before we move on, I I just want to take a minute and think about this. Think about the, the despised, those that need forgiveness, and ourselves that need forgiveness. And let's just pray about it. Let's bow our heads and pray with me. And if you feel like you need forgiveness from God, just hold that up to him. And say, Father, forgive me. Dear Lord, as we continue with this message, we want to take a moment and just thank you for loving us, for caring about us, for sending your son. That he didn't despise us, Lord, but he took that upon himself. He allowed himself to be despised for us. He allowed himself to be broken for us. He allowed himself to be killed and struck down for us because he wanted to make a way for us to be able to approach God again. And he started out his prayer with saying that we should say, Father, in heaven. He's restored that relationship if we just take it, just take it from him. He's holding out the gift of God of grace and mercy. But, Lord, we realize that we have to extend that to others as well. And, and honestly, as difficult as it is, we don't want to be disobedient. We want to forgive those that we may have had a falling out with. Our relationship's not what it should be. Everybody here knows who that is. Everybody online can think of someone or someones that they need to forgive or be forgiven for we ask that your Holy Spirit empower us, Lord, to give and receive forgiveness. In the authority and the precious name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So let's move on. Our second point is that Jesus seeks out the hopeless. And we're going to be reading from the Word, from John chapter 5. If you want to turn over to that, you're welcome to. But I want to set the stage for you on this as well. Jesus was in Jerusalem for a festival. And um, maybe he was restless. God called him. He went to a place called the Pool of Bethesda. Now, the thing about the pool is that um, I'll tell you a little bit about the backstory. The ancient Greeks had a cult for the pagan god of healing named Asclepion. Now I defy anyone here to challenge my pronunciation of that. <laughs> Maybe Mike could, I don't know. But we're gonna call it Asclepion. And during the peak of the Empire they built what is called Pios or healing centers all across the Greek Empire including some in Jerusalem. And those who were ill would visit those centers, bathe in the pool, Sleep inside the walls and stay there. And there were different things that they had to do depending on where they were. In this particular pool, the Bethesda, it was said that the the water would be stirred either by an angel or by serpents, which were servants of Asclepion. And uh, if you could be the first one in that pool, you would be healed. So, I mean, these folks were camping out there. Because, I mean, after all, if you've got a chronic condition, who doesn't want to be healed? It's like, you know, take this away. And so, this is the setting of this place called Bethesda, which interestingly enough, Bethesda means, it's a Hebrew word, means house of mercy or house of grace. So, with that all in mind, let's read the scriptures here. John chapter 5, starting verse 2. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? It's kind of an interesting question because, I mean, here he is, 38 years. He's got, had this chronic condition. He's paralyzed. And he's by the pool of Bethesda probably camped out there and jesus asked him kind of a obvious statement do you want to get well i know some people would say well duh of course i do but the invalid replied sir i have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred while i'm trying to get in someone else goes down ahead of me then jesus said to him get up pick up your mat and walk and at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Now we have something that's just kind of helpful in this day and age. It's called. It's a TV series called The Chosen. Anybody a fan of The Chosen? It's a powerful series. Um, and at the end of the clip, we're getting ready to play. You can see where you could watch it if you haven't seen The Chosen. But there's, I think there's three series or three seasons now. And what we're going to play is a clip from The Chosen that actually represents this particular scene. And I just want y'all to watch it with me and then we'll discuss this. Shalom. Me? Yes. Shalom. I have a question for you. For me. I don't have many answers, but I'm listening. Do you want to be healed? Who are you? We'll get to that later. But my question remains. Will you take me to the water? Look, I'm having a really bad day. You've been having a bad day for a long time. So? Sir, I have no one to help me into the water when it's stirred up. And when I do get close, the others, step down in front of me and so look at me look at me that's not what i asked i'm not asking you about who's helping you or who's not helping or who's getting in your way i'm asking about you <laughs> I've tried For a long time I know And you don't want false hope again I understand But this pool It has nothing for you It means nothing And you know it But you're still here Why? You don't need this, poor. You only need. To walk like he said. Don't forget your bed. Why does this matter? Because you're not coming back here. That life is over. Everything changes now. Powerful. Amen? Everything changes now. You talk about a good representation of hopelessness. 38 years. Unable to stand. And in a moment, in a blink of an eye, Jesus just dismissed that hopelessness. He was the hope that that man needed. He is the hope that we need. Just as he said in this video, you will only need me. As I was thinking about this... um, something that, uh, I was in a lecture class, um, a class I'm taking, and uh, I, as I was watching, or studying for this and, and watching that video clip, I remembered this lecture, and uh, it, it's basically, we were talking about uh, people of Islam, and let me explain to you the connection here. The people of Islam un- can undergo severe Persecution if they come to Christ. So much so that some people are even afraid to witness it or minister to someone from Islam because they know what they might have to go through. I'll give you some examples. This study was done in 2021. There were 10 Muslim majority countries where apostasy from Islam, in other words, converting to Christ, was punishable by death. And there's another 13 Muslim countries where there's uh, penal or civil punishments such as jail, fines, or even loss of child custody. Could you imagine one of the most glorious things that can happen in your life? Oh, the most glorious thing is to to accept Christ in your heart and then find out that you're going to lose custody of your children. That your husband might reject you, that you might even be put to death for something so wonderful. Seems almost hopeless, doesn't it? But there's been an interesting study that's gone on. Several several groups have performed this study. One of them is the Gospel Coalition. Um, One was a missionary um, named Tom Doyle. And another one is a a really famous uh, teacher on intercultural studies and specifically on Islam um, from Fuller Theological Seminary. And all three studies found out the same thing. That at least that they know of 25 to 30 percent or so of muslims who come to christ had a a vision or a dream and the the vision or dream was either jesus appeared to them speaking scripture to them even scripture they had never heard before jesus telling them to do something that ultimately led to them meeting a christian and learning about him or they sensed in their dream or vision this incredible sense of peace and a man in white who physically appeared to them, sometimes in a dream, sometimes with their eyes wide open. God is not intimidated by hopelessness, and we shouldn't either. I want you to think about it as I continue. Do you know someone that you know needs Christ in a situation may seem hopeless, that they're never going to know Christ. He, they're too, the heart's too hard. They've rejected him time and time again. Be praying for that person. Never stop praying. I want to tell you one little sh- more short story about a hopeless situation. I knew a woman, a woman of incredible faith, who had seen many miraculous things happen in her life, and many of her family come to Christ many that she led to Christ but she was estranged from her son growing up her son and her husband had fought and battled, there were blows thrown a lot of angry words and as the son got older there was a break in the relationship and the son left the house much too young to be on his own and he cut off all communication with his family with his parents and he he was too young to really enter the workforce so for a time he lived the life of a thief and a drug dealer traveled around the country staying one step ahead of the law although he was arrested a few times never was uh, convicted so he didn't have to serve prison time it was a hard life ultimately Someone stepped up and offered him a second chance. His brother asked him to help um, with a new business, and the two of them together, along with some others, built this business. He became the assistant manager of the business, put together a good life, lived in a condo on a lake in Florida, was dating the beauty queen of the area. There was only one problem. It's a big hole in that man's heart. And all this time, no communication, the mother never stopped praying and believing that God could do something in that hopeless situation. And amazingly, the son turned his back on even the good life. First, he turned his back on the hard life, the drug life, the life of crime. Now he turned his back on the good life and said, I'm just going to go find myself. And him and his best buddy started across the country, headed to the mountains, see if they could fill that hole. They stopped to visit some relatives in their hometown, and uh, something happened, and his buddy left. And he was stranded not where he wanted to be, not who he wanted to be around. But eventually he was in his hometown. He decided to reconnect with his family. And over a six-month period through prayer, some ministry, some counseling, and even going to church once or twice, the son came to the Lord. And there was a lot of celebration in that home. In Luke 19.10, Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. And when Jesus said, Son of Man, he was referring to himself. When he says those who are lost, he's referring to us. All of us are lost before we come to Christ. All of us need the good shepherd. We're not meant to wander on our own. We can't survive on our own. We were never meant to be separated from God. So I want to ask you, who are you praying for or need to pray for where the situation might seem hopeless? Or are you the hopeless one? Have you lost all your hope and you know you have a hole inside your heart that needs to be filled and you don't understand maybe everything that I've said today but you know that you need God? he wants to have a relationship with us it's just like he did with that man it went from strangers to best friends in seconds the woman that i told you about the mother was my mother and i was that son and as i close today and the worship team comes back up i want us to remember The foundation scripture for this series that Mike talked about last week, the parable of the lost sheep. So we're going to read it again, starting in Luke chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he's found you, he will joyfully carry you home. And when he's found those in your life and in your family, your friends that seem hopeless, whether it's 38 years of suffering or it's just an empty life without God, he will not stop searching and we don't need to stop praying. We all owe our lives to somebody who prayed for us. So I encourage you, before we pray here again, let him find you. Let him find them. Don't give up hope. Don't worry if the world says that they're hopeless or despised. Those words aren't in God's language. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we close out and worship you, we we worship you for your forgiveness. But also, just Lord, for the way you care for us, each individual. You seek us out. You don't want anyone to be lost. You want all to come to repentance and to know about you. So as we open up our hearts to you today, Lord. Help us to rejoice that you love us, that you care for us, that you died so that we could be forgiven. And help us to pray for those in our lives that seem beyond your reach. Help us to not despise those that you don't despise, Lord. Help us to share your hope with them and to forgive as you forgive. It's a hard thing you've asked us to do, Lord. And we don't always know exactly how you can do the impossible, but we know you are a God of the possible. We thank you for that. In your son Jesus' name, amen.